The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon K. Everybody. I'd like to welcome Michelle Lally. Michelle Lally is a powerful singer who sings beautiful renditions of contemporary, easy listening Irish music and contemporary jazz. Michelle has sang in Dedanon and sang and recorded with numerous singers and musicians. She has also performed for numerous USA presidents and dignitaries around the world and recently released a hit single, Old Galway Town. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, thank you, Simon. How are you? I'm doing good. All good here in Tipperary. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, did you get over the Christmas and the New Year okay? We did. It was quiet, you know, as opposed to other years, but it was good. It's still at the same time, you know, we kept within our bubble and it was lovely. And, you know, we just made the most of it as you have to. Yeah. And do you find now in Tipperary there, you know, is it hard to adhere to the lockdown? I mean, are, are people flaunting the, or flouting the laws, I should say, or what's happening? Not so much, but we're in the countryside. So for us, it's it's very easy to adhere to the rules. We don't see anybody from one end of the day to, to the next, really. So unless you're going in to do your food shopping, that's about the only bit of interaction we'd have with anybody. So um, for us, it's easy, you know, because we're not in a built up area or in a city or anything like that. So, yeah, it's, it's easy enough. OK, that's good. I mean, you know, I suppose it's hard on everybody after Christmas, especially because this was the time that we thought we would have more freedom and things would have kind of lapsed a little or like relaxed a little. And now we are in this situation where we're looking at maybe another six months or a year of kind of restrictions. So it's pretty difficult, isn't it? It's very difficult. And that's the thing. Like, I think last year, everybody was saying, let's just get rid of 2020 and, and look forward to 2021. And it's no different. You know, we were all expecting it to be um, like like old times. and it's unfortunate that it's not and we're looking into another bleak year really when you think about it i mean we're trying to make the best of it but it's it's very hard when you can't see your loved ones and your friends and your family and and just to be able to go out and do the normal things it is hard um but i think we just have to kind of stay positive and do whatever it takes to keep that positivity going whether it's going outside just get fresh air for half an hour a day whether it's the walks whether it's singing whether it's whatever it is, you know, um, you just have to try and see the best of, of such a terrible situation. And um, just for anybody who's listening in, Michelle appeared on our Christmas podcast in Ada Goa Sammy Community. So we want to thank you again, Michelle, for that. And, you know, people had a great response to your singing and your, your chat. And it was wonderful. So, you know, it, I said I had to have you back on the show again and to find out more about you and about your career and you know, your early life and your own personal journey. So let's go back a little. Let's um, talk about, you were born in Limerick, weren't you? I was born in Limerick. Uh, my family lived in Shannon, so not too far away from Limerick. Uh, my father had a, a menswear and a sportswear shop in the town centre in Shannon. So my early years were there. My first years in school were there. And and then we moved to Ballinasloe in County Galway, in East Galway. My father opened up a pub there called the Dunlow Tavern. And so from the age of seven up until 18, 
I was in Ballinasloe. My family are still there, but I, I, um, I emigrated at 18. So, uh, yeah, so that was, that was really my childhood. It was really Ballinasloe, to be honest with you. I have very little memories of Shannon. Right. What, for you, what was it like growing up in Ballinasloe? Do you remember it as being vibrant around the town that time or how was it for you? Yeah, it was. It was a very vibrant town at the time. It's not anymore, unfortunately. Um, a lot of things have changed. The, the bypass took a lot of businesses away, you know, from coming into the town as far as uh, passing traffic. Uh, but I, you know, it is getting back to it. I think they're 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 doing a lot of work to try and uh, get back to the old times of Ballinasloe. It was very famous for its horse fair there at the first weekend of October. It has the biggest horse fair uh, and the oldest horse fair in Europe. And uh, that was always a great time. Uh, I remember growing up because you got so many visitors from outside of Ireland, even coming from all over the world. And um, it was a very vibrant town, lots of music. Um, I have good memories growing up with my friends. And, you know, the times that we grew up in were very innocent. So uh, and and again, before the times of Facebook and social media. So. You know, we weren't stuck at home on screens talking to each other. We met up and, you know, you could be let out in the summer holidays, you know, all day. You just come home to eat and go out again and you could come home at 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, just good memories of just sitting around talking to your friends and listening to music, whatever the the, the hits were of the time, you know. Um, yeah, it was good, good memories, very good memories. What school did you go to in Balneslow? So I went to school where it was a a convent all girls and um yeah it was good I had a lot of friends that I still remain friends with today and um, even though I very rarely get back to Ballinasloe as I said there a little while ago I I emigrated when I was 18 so um and I I came back there about how many years ago 18 years ago now I'd say I came back to Ireland and I went straight to Galway City so I rekindled a lot of the friendships that I had at that stage. Um, all the girls that I went to school with were still, which is great about Facebook and social media. We've reconnected through that and I see what their life is like now and they see what my life is like now and, you know, see pictures of each other's children, even though we don't meet up. And I probably haven't seen them in as long, but I know a lot about their lives and they know about my life. And it's lovely to just uh, be in contact that way too. So when you were 18, you said you emigrated. Where, where did you go and what, what, what was your plan? I went, it wasn't a plan. I never, ever had a plan for my life. Um, I'm a bit of a dreamer. I always had dreams of doing things. But um, I went off to Norway and I became an au pair. And totally by accident, a friend of mine, a neighbour actually, a girl I went to school with as well, she was over there for two years previous to that as an au pair and she knew of an au pair an English au pair who was leaving and this uh, family they were Norwegian American and they were looking for a replacement and she thought of me immediately and I had just finished my leaving cert and uh, she called me up and asked me what I didn't even know where Norway was I had to get out the atlas and read you know what what language do they speak what do they eat what's the weather like um but uh yeah so it was a bit of uh thrown into the deep end really because it was my first time on a plane it was my first time to leave ireland at all um so and i was very very innocent and 
uh, yeah, went over to Oslo and met this family. And it was beginning of January, so there was very little light. There was a lot of snow. It was very cold. and uh, But the family were amazing. And to this day, uh, I'm still in contact with them. And they're all grown, the girls are grown up now and they have children of their own. And But I'm still very close with the parents that uh, took me and they were just amazing to me. And how long did you stay in Norway for? So I was there for a year and a half and I came back to Ireland kind of not knowing what I was going to do. It was really, you know, it was uh, very early 90s and um, unemployment was high. It was just a terrible time in Ireland for, for people of my age and a lot of my friends had emigrated to America and to England. Um, and uh, there was really nothing for me there. So I went up to London and uh, and I was four years in London then and was working in Selfridges in makeup and uh, living with a family member, an aunt of mine. And uh, yeah, London was great, early 90s, uh, great great place and a great time, uh, great memories of that. Did you, you know, were you like, did you kind of flock to the Irish people over there? Did you stick with your own or did you kind of uh, broaden, expand your wings and find other cultures? Yeah, I did, I did. And I, and I did the same in Norway. Um, I really just settled in to uh, the friends and the people that were around me at the time. I had a lot of Norwegian friends. I had a lot of other au pairs. And it was the same then when I went to London. I really mixed with the people that I worked with became my friends and they became my circle. Um, I had family over there. I have lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. So I never felt alone in, in, um, in London, not like I did in Norway. Um, because I had only one person that I knew before I went over to Norway. But in London, I had a, a large uh, support system over there. Those aunts, uncles, cousins, old friends that had moved over. So, um, yeah, I really, I really loved it there. I would have, I, I definitely could have seen myself settling there for longer. But then I got itchy feet again. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a wanderer, I think. You know, I never settle too long in one place. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I mean, everybody has different temperaments and I'm like that myself. I always say to myself, I'm like a, a gypsy you know, I have a gypsy heart because I, I always like to move around and, you know, I've had so many addresses. But for me, it's a plus, you know, it's, it's one of these things where I look back and go, there were moments in my life that, you know, you had different memories. And if you stay in the one place too long, you know, you, you pr maybe sometimes you have more stability. But the thing is, you don't experience all the different cultures around the world and, you know, the, all the other things that kind of expand your horizon and open your mind, no? Yeah, no, absolutely. You're dead right. Um, I do. I see it like that, too. And um, even though I admire like some of my friends who have, as you said, they have really rooted themselves into their hometown and their children grew up in the same town. And, and, and I love that. I love that that really strong roots that they give their families and that they that they have. But for me, I see my life as almost like not even chapters, but different books, you know, because every place that I've lived has told a completely different story and there were completely different people in it and um, so many different experiences, you know, and I, I've definitely grown a lot because of all those people and all the experiences and all the places and the cultures um, that I have mixed with and been a part of uh, down through the years, you know, so it's been 
even up to this point now, it's definitely been a very enriching experience. Okay. And tell me, so in your family, like when you were growing up, how many kids were in your family, in, in your parents and how many more? I have, there was, so there was three kids. So there was, I'm the oldest. And then there was a sister and a brother younger than me. Um, and uh, yeah, so a small enough family, but I suppose it was pretty normal enough size family uh, at the time that I was, I was growing up. You know, it's not like my parents' time when my father comes from a family of eight and my mother comes from a family of 12, you know. So um, small enough family, but we were very close in age. So um, there's only five years between myself and the youngest. You said you were born in Limerick. So were your parents from Limerick or were they from different places? No, um, my father is from a place called New Inn, which is just outside Ballinasloe. It's a small village okay. just outside Ballinasloe. And my mother is from a small village called Ballandine in County Mayo. So, um, but they were both working in Shannon at the time. And they were set up on a blind date. And that's how they met. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that was the story there. They, my father um, was in the Brothers. He was in the Christian Brothers. And before he left, uh, before he before he went to take final vows, he realized it wasn't for him. And so he went to, to Shannon. My mother was working in Shannon. And that's how they met. And they settled down there. And then my father got a chance to open up the pub in Ballinasloe and jumped at it. and. Uh, yeah, that's how we moved up to Ballinasloe then at that stage. Wow, that's really interesting because, you know, you do. I know I know of one particular priest and not far from my kind of mother's village. And he did something similar, you know, and he left. Uh, he was a priest, but he actually left the priesthood then. But it's interesting when you hear somebody was close to taking the vows and then, you know, they decide that this is not for me. And they want to kind of have a, a more normal life and have a family and everything. Uh, did was that something you know that if you ever spoke to him was it a big decision for him or was it something he had a lot of doubts as he was doing the the I suppose the the internship or whatever they do in the in the Christian Brothers. I'd say it was, and I'd say at the time as well, from what I I gathered, um, many times speaking to him about it, it was a thing of that time where there would always be one person in the family that would go to the priesthood or the sisterhood. You know, they go into the nuns or the priests, and and I think the parent, his parents, were very proud of him, and I, I don't think he ever wanted to let them down. You know, but some of the letters I've I've read, um, that his brothers have kept that he wrote over the over the years, um, home were heartbreaking. You know, because my dad is huge into the GAA, and he'd be asking his brothers what matches were going on and what happened during the match, and you know, um, simple little things. You know, and you know, to thank his mother for the oranges she sent up. And he was really missing home. You could tell by the by the words that he was using that it was a very lonely time for him, you know, and it was obviously something that he, he struggled with, you know, because he, he, wa- he wanted to do them proud. But um, for him, he knew it wasn't, it wasn't the life that he wanted, you know. But, um, but they accepted it, I think. I don't think there was any falling out or anything like that. When he made his decision, I think they, they just wanted him to be happy. Like fair play to him because there was a lot of other priests probably who didn't have the vocation but stayed in because of peer pressure and family pressure. You know, Ireland was a very religious place one time. And the thing is, a lot of boys and girls were forced into situations, you know, like being priests, being nuns because of family pressure and peer pressure. So, I mean, he was very brave to make that decision. So, you know, fair play to him. He was, yeah. And he's still a very religious man. His faith is very important to him. 
um, and you know he's a very good person very good heart you know and uh, has always encouraged us to be brave as well you know to always follow our heart and you know to to not very good to and, not and be... your mom is is your mom still alive she is yeah they both are and uh she's at home yeah she's she's happy and healthy thank god yeah brilliant I suppose now during the COVID times, it's a, it's a more difficult time because they have to be locked down more and be careful of who visits them and everything. What ages are they? What, are, what kind of ages so are my, they? Yeah, my dad just turned 80 last week. Um, he's a very good, healthy 80 now, very fit man. And uh, my mother is 76. So uh, they're getting up there. But yeah, it's, it's a tough time. This is the time where we can't be, where you want to be with them, but you can't be with them. And, uh, you know, it's obviously a very, a very tough time for everybody, for lots of families out there, you know, and, and grandchildren as well, you know, that want to see their, their grandparents. And it's, a, it's very unusual and hard for them, I think, you know, like my father now last week turning 80, he was on his own. And, you know, what we did was, though, there was a lot of videos, so a lot of family um, put videos together and we all sent videos to him and they were flowers dropped off outside the door by the deliveries and cards arriving to the door and messages and calls and FaceTimes. So he was kept very busy all day because we were obviously wanted a big party and to celebrate him with a lot of his friends and families from down through the years, friends, you know, um, but you couldn't do that. So uh, we made the best of it again we had to make the best of that situation. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. And so, you know, you're you're most of your family are around Balna Slow, so you're not too far away from them now. No, I'm only an hour. Um, same with when, when I was in Galway, because I was in Galway City, you know, for 18 years. So um, I'm only an hour away, just a different direction. That's all. But um, yeah, again, it's outside the 5K, though. So you can't, you can't, go, out, <laughs> can't go outside the 5-kilometre mile. Can't go... I, 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 and I thought it went to 3K, so it's probably changing oh, all the time. gosh. No, I don't think it went to 3 <laughs> You pity all the 5K <laughs> runners. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned there when you were in London, you worked as like as a beautician or in the beauty kind of area. What other jobs have you done, you know, before kind of you got into music and singing as a career kind of? What other jobs did you do growing up and things you tried out? Well, my... See, I have a lot of passions in life when it comes to things like I, I love fashion and I love the beauty business. So um, I was working in London in the fashion business and I was working in the beauty business. Um, I worked in Selfridges, first of all, upstairs in ladies wear. And then I went downstairs to perfume just inside the doors. And then I went to makeup. I worked for Chanel and got trained in by Chanel there. And my career with Chanel went on for years after that even when I moved to New York. So, um, yeah, that, and I still, to this day, there's still things that I'll do even while I'm singing. I always have, a, I do the singing, but I also have another job, always. Yeah, of course. I love working in fashion and I love working in the beauty business. So, yeah, I, I, I try and keep all of those things going. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing for lots of, especially for musicians, it's, it's a very difficult life, you know, like, I, you know, I have a sister who's an actress and, I, you know, I'm a musician. I have another sister who's a musician. And the thing is, you know, people only see the, the glitz and glamour of being a musician or an actor when you're in the high moments. But there's lots of low moments and there's lots of moments when people don't have any work. 
And the thing about it is you have to have another career a lot of the time to maintain and to survive. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, definitely, I love getting up in the morning and going to work. I'm not really a morning person. Like if I don't have to get up, I struggle to get up. But I love the I actually love getting up in the morning and going to work, getting dressed, getting ready for the day, having my little routine and going to work. And I enjoy that. I love that structure of a day coming home, making dinner. And then if you've got gigs at the weekends or at nighttime, whatever, then you can do those as well. And that's the great thing about being a singer is that you have all that time during the day that you can, you know, you can do the other things that you love, whether it's a hobby or whether it's another career or whatever. But for me, I feel that if I was just singing and I didn't do the fashion or the business or the beauty side of things, I think I would be missing that. And vice versa, if I was just doing the fashion and beauty side of things and I didn't have the music I'd be missing that so this way I can get to incorporate it all into my into my life but at the moment obviously there's nothing going on there's no No. day job there's no night job there's there's nothing going on at the moment so we're stuck at home and and you know as you said some jobs you can't do remotely I mean that's the thing you know there there's lots of jobs you can but nowadays obviously you know we're you're looking at manual jobs and Jobs where, like you said, in fashion, where you have to fit people out or, or, you know, measure them. I mean, you can't do that remotely. You know, maybe in the future we will be able to do these things with technology. But now it's quite difficult. So a lot of things have shut down. And, you know, as I said, some people are twiddling their thumbs. Some people are doing other hobbies or turning their hobbies into careers. So, I mean, it's, it's quite different, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. I suppose that's the thing too. And I've seen that with a lot of my friends that it is, it has been a time where they've had to rethink what they're doing and how they can do it differently in order to go with the times that we're in at the moment, you know? So, uh, yeah, but for me, as I said, I'm, I'm just happy going into a shop, working, uh, being around people. I love that. I love meeting people and, um, yeah, I do. I miss that. I miss that, even though it's great, you know, that we we're so it's so easy for us to be um, distanced from everybody where we are. I, I miss the social element of meeting people on a day to day basis. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty difficult. And um, can I ask you there, you mentioned New York. So did you go to New York after London or what was the timeline on that? Yeah. Yeah. So straight after London, went to New York and um, I was there for eight years. Um, and again, worked with Chanel and continued my training with them as far as being a, a makeup artist and worked in Bloomingdale's and also traveled around to different shops where um, they needed a traveling makeup artist. So I was just doing Bloomingdale's and Saks Fifth Avenue and Macy's and all the department stores over there. And then eventually got into the Chanel boutique which was in Manhattan was between Fifth Avenue and Madison and uh, so it was quite a ritzy glitzy part of town and um, yeah it's beautiful it was really lovely memories from that time now that's back late 90s early 2000s yeah late 90s um yeah did you live in in you know Manhattan or did you where did you live no I lived in New Jersey but it was only oh, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't a long. It wasn't a long commute. It was no. You know, well, it depends. During the mornings when there's a lot of traffic, when it's brush hour, you know, it could take you an hour, it could take you more than an hour. You know, getting through the Lincoln Tunnel or whatever. But 
if I had to drive in on a Saturday morning, I could be in there in 20 minutes. So, um, you know, it takes a lot of getting used to going from, you know, well, obviously, obviously, I was in Oslo before that, London, New York. So I was used to the city life at that stage. But New York is a completely different different kettle of fish altogether you know it's uh it's some it's somehow you, there's no other place like it it's very hard to get used to it so it, it you know it, it does take a while to get used to the mannerisms you know people are not as as nice let's say but i'm trying to think of words yeah. that are um yeah. when you're commuting in the, during the day if you're in london and you're commuting the place is packed you know people will be you know, very mannerly and asking, can they get through or they excuse me or whatever. They don't do that in New York. You know, they're very direct and straight down the line. They could get very angry with somebody that they don't know very quickly because you're in their way, you know. So that was hard to get used to, you know, how people spoke to each other. And um, yeah. But... And can, can I ask you as well, you know, obviously I have a friend in New Jersey. He's a bar in New Jersey there in Hoboken. Did you find actually even uh, there's a small difference between New Jersey and Manhattan, even even though they're 30 minutes away, there's still a big difference, isn't there, in, yeah. in some ways? Oh, absolutely. Like, I was living in a lovely little town that was um, kind of there was the Irish, not Irish, like Irish Americans, and there'd be Italian Americans, mainly in it. Um, but it was a small town, and it was, it was lovely. It was just a nice little suburban little town with, you know, leafy, streets and you know lots of trees down the streets the main streets and stuff like that it was really nice um new york is it's it's beautiful and i loved it i absolutely did and i made a lot of friends there but it's it can be a scary place i think you know it's it's it, it consumes you it overwhelms you it can be very claustrophobic so it was nice to go from from work out to the just all the space that I had in in Woodridge, where I was, and um, it was a beautiful town. Did you when? What year did you leave New York? So left there in two thousand and two. Okay, so right, like just a year or two after the 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 nine eleven. A year after, almost a almost a year to the day. Um, I think that was a major contributing factor for me leaving. Um, I I felt the place had changed at that stage. Um. Things were never the same after that. It was a very scary time, and I, I, I had made my mind up at that stage. I want to go home. I don't like it here anymore. Um, people just, I think they were very skeptical of each other. You know, everybody was looking at each other differently. Like, and who are you? And what are you doing here? And what are you doing in the country? And you know, and I didn't feel safe. I really didn't feel safe. Um, my son was born there, and I was fearful for him. I didn't want him growing up in America. I wanted him growing up in Ireland. I wanted him to grow up where I could, you know, where I knew he'd be safe as an American. I didn't feel as an American he was safe in America, which was terrible. Um, so I wanted him to grow up. I wanted him to have a childhood in, in Ireland. So that's why we moved home. Hey, what's your son's name? My, my son is Evan. He's 20 Evan. now. He's 20. I was going to say 2002, he'd be like near 20. He yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. So and does does he, you know, now he's twenty? Does he embrace his American roots, or what? How does he feel about America? Oh, he's he's living over there now. He's living over. Oh, he's there. living there. Okay. He's going to college over there. He's in New Jersey. He's just outside uh, Philly in a place called Rowan University. So he's yeah. So he's been there for the last two years. Well, he's he moved over. 
his dad is living, his dad is over there. Uh, his dad and I are, are great pals and uh, thank God um, made life so much easier. Uh, but his his dad was over there. And so Evan grew up here. Um, his dad was very much part of his life, even though his dad was over there. Um, they they called, like they were on the phone every evening at a certain time. And so he was very much part of his daily routine, what he was up to. He'd know everything that was going on in Evan's life. And um, when Evan got to um, transition year here, he it was compulsory in the school that he was in in, in Galway to do uh, transition year and he didn't want to do it and he felt it was a waste of a year. So he said, what if I go to America and do an academic year in high school and just to see what I missed out on, just to get that in, just to get that experience. So I was very reluctant at first to even consider it but with talking, you were letting your baby go. <laughs> yeah, and 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 to be honest with you, I knew once he turned eighteen, he would probably go to America. He's a very American kid. He always was, as you said. Did he embrace his American? Oh my God! Like growing up, we found we had to find a baseball team, and thank God, in in just outside Galway in Ornmore, there was a family that had moved over from from New Jersey actually, and. Um, temporarily but they had set up a little a little league baseball team and there was a lot of that going on around Ireland which I had no idea of so they had competitions and leagues and everything going on and he became part of that um he was very American he never really took to GAA or even the Irish language or anything he just he's such an American kid do you think that you know because he's going to high school there and probably he will go to college do you think that you know, for him now, America is his home. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I can't see him coming back. You know, he'll come back to visit and all that. But Evan is so American. And I figured that, you know, I kind of knew as he was growing up, you know, I have to be prepared that when he's 18, he's going to leave home. Like I left home when I was 18. And to this day, I still think it was the best thing I ever did. You know, so I'd never stop him. And... um he has his family over there and I knew I'd never have to worry about him once he was there, you know. Um growing up, yes, I worried about him because I, I felt that motherly protective thing of, you know, getting away from the dangers that were what I saw America in two thousand and one, two thousand and two was a dangerous place. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel safe for him. But as we as as he got older and you know, he's he's a good kid. He's always been very good. He's very aware of himself um, and his surroundings and who he surrounds himself with. And uh, but yeah, he he wanted to do this, do an academic year. We decided, okay, we'd let you do it. And my stipulation was that you come back and you do your leaving cert. <laughs> but that didn't happen. He thrived. Didn't happen. <laughs> no. Yeah, and um, do do you think like for you? Obviously, you're you know you're based in Ireland and everything now, but could you ever see yourself living in America again? That's a very definite no. <laughs> no, no. I, I left there. When I left there I, and I came back to Ireland, imagine, like, that was, I was a long time away from home, but I'll never forget the wheels touching down in Shannon Airport that day, and I went, I'm home. Like, I don't think I was ever ready to move back to Ireland before then, but I was ready at that stage. and um. And I moved straight to Galway City and I just, that was it. I'd, I'd now found my roots. Like now that's, I was planting myself firmly. That's, that's where you wanted to be. Yeah. 
yeah, I missed everything about it. It must have been difficult because obviously when you leave New York, you know, and you've been there for eight years and as you said, you're kind of rolling with the high rollers and, you know, in, in, in the Ritz and Chanel and all these Bloomingdale's and Saks and everything. So it's kind of hard coming back to Galway where it's a very small town and Galway is a great town. But, you know, it's a much different feel, no? Oh, yeah, it is. Way different. Way different. And and, and to be honest with you, even even if at that, it really didn't take anything to to feel like I belonged again. You know, I just felt that that sense of being at home and um, I was just extremely happy to be back. Um, you know, just settled in straight away, made friends straight away, got a job in Brown Thomas again, you know, back in fashion. Um, so I just immersed myself back into, into Galway and what Galway was all about. And yeah, I loved it. And I missed, I think I was very homesick at that point anyway. So to get home, I just, I, I just loved it. I smothered myself in going out to like, you know, all, as much music as I could, you know, um, I missed that about, about Ireland when I was in America, I, I missed Irish music and I missed the sessions and I missed, um, going to gigs whereas in New York you'd be looked up to see who's Irish that's coming over and um you know I, I was just trying to to see as many acts and gigs as I could to try and get myself any little piece of home that I could you know when you were in New York I was thinking that earlier was there you know were you immersed in the Irish scene or did you kind of stay away from it or how did you deal with that yeah no I didn't really um you know there's lots of Irish pubs and you'd go in there but no there wasn't it wasn't very many Irish Irish people that I knew over there. Now again, I had uncles and aunts living over in New York, not too like, you know, within driving distance. And um, they were in Yonkers, and um, so I kept in contact with them, and I was able to go visit them. And I have lots of cousins over there. I had a lot of family. Great again, great support system over there for me. Um, but uh, oh, as far as going to Irish places and meeting up with other people are from home no there was nothing like that I really do as I said earlier I really get into the places where I'm working and I become friends and I get very close to those and they're the people that I hang out with and um so and again I have a lot of friends that I've worked with down through all the you know the years in New York uh, that I still stay in contact with today you know so again um lots of lots of friends for life there you know brilliant brilliant that's a great story you know I mean a great experience and everything you know, it's uh, wonderful to hear your your version of it. You know, and and your your you know, your history of it and all. How did you get into music? Like when you were young, you know, what kind of when you were a teenager and everything? What kind of uh, bands or artists inspired you that you listened to? Gosh, do you know, I I listened to so many and so many different genres, um, and I was inspired by all of them. To be honest with you, um. Because obviously I was a teenager in the 80s and, you know, I, and I listened to all the popular music. You'd be listening to Madonna and you'd be listening to Wham and you'd be listening. And then you'd go to The Cure and you'd go, you know, to Simple Minds and U2. And and then I'd, I'd love the musicals from the 1950s. So Doris Day and um, Ella Fitzgerald, jazz singers. And um, then there was Irish singers like Maura O'Connell loved Moral O'Connell. She was a huge influence on me. Um, probably the biggest influence um, at the time. She brought out an album in 1980, 
86 or 87, I'd say, and it was called Just In Time. And I think it was her debut album after she had left Adanon and she had moved to Nashville and she did this um, this beautiful album and all the songs. I knew every song off by heart. I knew every word to every song. I mean, and I played that album over and over and over again. And that was the one that was the that was the album that inspired me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. Do you feel that that kind of gave you your style or the way you sang? Did you, do you feel that really kind of um, put you in a direction? Definitely. Uh, you know, the thing is, she was, her style of singing um, wasn't like anybody else at the time. You know, she still had this, there was this classic tone to her voice. She almost had that jazz style to her voice, you know, like, um, like the like the songs like the singers of the forties, the thirties and the forties, she had that parlor kind of a singer. She says it herself, you know. Um and she grew up with those songs. So she had this tone to her voice and the style that I just loved. And I suppose it kind of connected to the Doris Day and the, the musicals that I would be watching and listening to the songs of, you know, and singing the songs of. That was there was there was a connection there between her and and them you know that that she she just brought it to a more modern time for me did you in school did did you um, get involved in musicals were you singing in school yes yes anything that came up with musicals or any plays that had to be done or choirs or i was there i was part i was i wasn't like a lead or singer or anything like that i was very shy so i was just happy being in the, in the background singing away i would like I'd get stage fright if I was pushed out into the front to do a song on my own. I'd very, 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 very shy and very scared. Yeah, but I knew I loved to sing. But like to this day, a lot of the friends that you know that I went to school with, they said, "God, Michelle, we didn't know you could sing." You know, because I I didn't push myself out there. I never, I never believed. I suppose the confidence wasn't there at that stage. You're you're so your self esteem hasn't developed. Like now, you look at kids in their teens and the, and the confidence that they have to go out and sing and the voices that they come out of these little people, you know. I, I think a lot's changed in the sense that, you know, as you said, when you're with the hairbrush practicing in front of the mirror, um, some people might record themselves on the tape, but people didn't analyze what they did. And nowadays, you know, everyone records it and then they look back and they do 50 takes and so the thing is, people are more self-aware of their singing or their guitar playing or musicianship. So it's a much different thing now. And then as well, you know, you have other people scrutinizing it and criticizing it or critiquing it. So I think it was much harder, you know, in, in the 80s and 90s, trying to be a singer or a musician because you had far less tools, no? Absolutely. And also, uh, whereas now... There's, you know, you've got social media, as you said, the tools of, of getting yourself out there and being heard and creating that 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 persona of yourself singing. And, and it gives you great confidence if you can do that and you can hear yourself back and you can you can polish yourself up whichever way you want, change it. And and even all the the shows that people have now to get themselves heard, to get themselves out there. Um, TikTok is the new thing that I'm not into. I don't know anything about it. But again, it's it's creating all these, you know, the we didn't have anything like that back in the 80s. There was nothing. There was absolutely nothing for people who wanted to sing. I didn't know that. I knew I wanted to sing. I didn't know in what capacity. 
you know, I didn't know. All I knew was that I loved to sing. You know, at, at some point when you were in your teens, then did you say, I'm going to go for some singing lessons or I'm going to take this further? What was kind of a turning point when you knew you really wanted to sing as a career? Um, do you know, it kind of happened organically, I think. Well, to, first of all, when I was in New York, I I was working with a girl in Chanel and um, she had seen an advertisement for... Um, singers that were looked that were, that were wanted in New York to put together a, a band a girl band and she pushed me to go to the interview and I I went and I got the job nothing really came out of the band but it gave me a great um experience in the studio did a lot of studio work and the producer the guy who was putting the girls together and the band together um also did a lot of work for ads jingles you know and so I ended up doing a lot of singing and jingles and um, things like that. But I loved being in the studio and I loved working in the studio. And so kind of got me very interested then. And um, but then, as I said, the homesickness and everything else, I, I knew I was going to move back to Ireland. And I went back to Ireland. And again, um, somebody somebody got me, somebody that I worked with, actually, um, got me to enter a singing competition in Galway and she was entering as well. And we both, we both went into it kind of supporting each other. Um, again, my confidence wasn't great, even though I had done the studio work, live work was a different story altogether. Like I wasn't really comfortable on stage. I was comfortable in a studio, but not on stage. Um, so, um, from there I met a lot of musicians, um, who were gigging around Galway. And one in particular was a guy called Craig McAvoy. He was an English guy who was working as a teacher in Galway. And he had a few gigs around Galway. And he asked me, would I come up and do a few gigs with him? And I did. I started doing a few gigs with him. And that was it. Um, we did. We had a duet going then for years. And that's how I started out singing in Galway. Yeah, I, I actually saw your video you had a video with Craig on the prom in Galway, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that was recent. That was three years ago. He he moved back to England. Um, gosh, it must have been two thousand four, maybe. He must have moved back, or two thousand five, maybe. And um, he moved back to England, and so I hadn't seen him. And then he he said he was coming back to Galway, and he had written this song. And would I do, do the duet with him? And we made the video. So it was it was really lovely. It was kind of a full circle. That was nice. Back around yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So You know, obviously, as you said, you, you had done a lot of studio work in New York and everything. And so when you came back to Galway and, you know, at, at, even in the early 2000s, there was a few studios, but not many around. So there was a lot more live work, wasn't there? Because, you know, there was cover bands playing around. There's gigs in the in the town hall, different places. So you probably got more, pulled more into live shows, didn't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was the thing. Again, I was working in fashion and then from Thursday nights, Friday nights and Saturday nights and even Sunday nights, we had gigs. So we were busy and it was a busy time, you know, like you were still in the boom at that stage in Ireland. So people were out all the time. So we got a lot of work for, um, in hotels and, you know, parties that were going on and, you know, there was always something going on. And then when we weren't working, 
you'd be going to the sessions and you'd sit in in a session, you'd be asked to, to sing a song. And, you know, just I just immersed myself in music the whole time that I was home uh, initially. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. You know, for you, obviously, you you joined Adanin in 2012, I think. But before that, we, we'll come to that in a second. But before that, you know, did you feel that I don't want to say kind of your star was rising? But in, in a way, did you feel that your career was starting to take off a little and that there was more to this at at some point in the years before that? No, I never really thought of it like that, you see. So it was just that I, all I knew is that I was really loving doing the gigs with Craig. It was, it was a great outlet for me. And um, yeah, I was really just enjoying that. Um, and then actually it was more uh, 2005 or 2006 that I joined the Frankie Gatton band that was before Dedanon. Um, that was the Hibernia Rhapsody wasn't it? Or the, yeah, yeah yeah well actually it was it was called before it was called it went from the Frankie Gatton band to Hibernian Rhapsody to Dedanon but there was a lot of uh, people changes obviously of, of those three bands but um, so it was actually Frankie that had heard Craig and I singing someplace and wanted to produce an album for us. But it just didn't suit Craig. He was moving back to London and th there was no way he could get about around that. So anyway, he went off to London and I just didn't know what to do at that stage. So um, uh, Frankie produced the album for me then in 2006. It was an album called um, If This Be Love. So there was a lot of songs from Jim McCarthy, John Spillane, McCanley. Um, yeah some lovely songs on there um, a couple of Jimmy McCarthy songs nobody had heard before Jimmy became very much part of the production he became a mentor for me and um, a great friend and gave me a whole load of songs that nobody had heard so um, and, and even the songs that there were out there like Ride On he had changed some of the words because he felt some of the words were too aggressive for the style of album that it was so for let's say in um, what's the in on ride on the the words are, you run your claw along my gut one last time, so he he changed that to the silver spur, the stirred foot where the road does part and wind, so he made it he made it a lot more kind of easy kind of listening um yeah it's it's a little more a little more poetic or romantic poetic than, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so um. Yeah, Jimmy was a huge part of that album. So that was 2006 we released that. Yeah. And did you, with that album, did you tour with that album a lot? or how? Did... I didn't really. I did Again, I wasn't looking down that road as far as a career. It wasn't a thing for me. I think it was more a project that had to be done. Um, and with a, lot of, with a lot of pushing and encouraging from Frankie, I, I did it, but not really wanting to do much with it. But at the time I was, I was singing with the band with his band and we were doing a lot of tours we were going over to canada and america and england and all around ireland and stuff like that so we were doing a lot of gigs anyway um and then hibernian rhapsody album came out and that was more orchestrated um carl hessian from galway um did a lot of composing for that as well and all the music for it. so there was a lovely orchestra sound to all the songs that we picked and that we picked real old traditional folk songs um, from Ireland and from England and from Scotland, actually. Um, and, and yeah, and then in 2009, it morphed into the new Dedanon, which was quite controversial at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose, you know, 
in one way it it was quite controversial because of you know all the splits and everything but for you it must have been quite a dream come true because here was you stepping into the shoes of someone like Maura Connell who had inspired you all those years before so I'm sure for you it must have been amazing to say wow I'm standing in the same place and same kind of role that she did that's true that's true I it definitely was um kind of a weird one you know when you'd hear people saying you know you know following in the footsteps as you said following in the footsteps of Maura Connell Mary Black Dolores Kane da 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 because I wouldn't think of myself like that at all you know these were these are still the greats of Irish music um legends in their own rights and um but it was it was I suppose once I stepped into the, the lead singing role of Dedanon it was one of those things. So it was it was crazy in that sense. Yeah. You know, like when I'm talking to you, I get the sense that you sometimes maybe kind of, you know, you don't I don't I don't want to say you you don't value your own ability, but maybe it feels like sometimes you said some people would push you more. And you don't, if someone might say, oh, you know, Michelle Lally's an amazing singer like Maura Connell and these, you don't see yourself in that light, which is very nice and very humble. But, you know, you know yourself being a singer or an artist, sometimes what holds some people back is that confidence or lack of confidence. And the other people maybe have too much confidence. So it's a fine line between having enough to put yourself out there enough to be heard and then having too little that you don't take the right opportunities. Have you found that yourself? Yeah, yeah. I guess, you, you know, you've probably hit the nail on the head there for a few things. Um, I don't push myself. I don't push myself out there at all. Um, it's not something, you know, I, if an opportunity comes my way and I think I can do it, I'll do it. Um, but I'm not one that goes, oh, I have to do this and I have to be doing that and I have to be doing this. And, you know, um, I don't push myself. I don't see myself have, having a career in music. I love it and I love what I do um, when I do it. But it's not very often. You know, like somebody was there recently asking me to, to send on videos that I've done. I don't have any videos. Like I don't go out there. Like, all I have is the old Galway town and the Galway one that you saw with myself and Craig. So, you know, you know, gigs now. Isn't it funny? The, the thing that I, I, I was most uncomfortable with is now the thing I'm most comfortable with, is, which is gigs, live gigs, sitting in front of somebody um, and singing. And um, But confidence I probably still do to struggle with. I have a lot of self-confidence issues when it comes to singing. Yeah, and music and, and who I am as a, as, as a singer or where I belong or where I fit in or what happened, you know. I, I probably do still struggle, even at my age, with all of that. Um, but yet, if somebody comes to me and they want me to do something, I'll jump at the chance. I'll, I will, I would never, very rarely will I say no to something that could be a good experience for me, I, you know, a good opportunity to do something new or try out something new. Um, but, but I don't push myself out there looking for it. I think it's a, I think a lot of artists struggle with is, you know, because there's a very different perception about people who hear the finished product and they don't obviously see a lot of the work that goes into it and they don't see the, the artist struggle mentally and, you know, like with confidence issues. And, you know, as you said, sometimes you can be really good in the studio, 
but not so perf- not so confident with the performance side of it. And these are things where, like I find myself even, I'm very goal-orientated. So if I have a goal, I work really hard. But if I don't have a goal, sometimes I'm like, which road do I take? Which path? Do- what should I do? Where- Where's my place in all of this? Am I a, am I a composer? Am I a singer? I don't, you know, you, as artists, we struggle sometimes to see who we are, what we are, what we should be doing. And sometimes somebody else might say, well, maybe you should do that. Or you were quite good at this or something else. So it, it, it's a really hard thing, thing to do because, and especially the more things you do in your life, you know, you could be doing musicals, you could be singing with the trad band, you could be singing and operatic whatever but the thing is sometimes you're like which direction do i go and it's hard to know isn't it it is hard to know and maybe if it was something that i was doing without the fashion and beauty side of things maybe i would be more goal orientated you know maybe i'd have something i'd have to be doing something like that but i've never been goal orientated it's always been something that's kind of happened by chance being in the right place at the right time meeting the right people um where things have happened you know, or somebody's asked me to 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 do something that has led on to something else, to do something else, to do something else. You know, so, um, but uh, I, I, it all depends on you as a person. Um, but I think I, I just enjoy doing it for the love of it. Not, I don't have to prove anything to myself. You know, I, I loved being part of the Dannon. I loved being part of a band. I loved being part of a team. Um. I'd like that again. I think I'd like to do a band thing more so than a solo thing. You know, I think being part of a team, being part of a band, I like that. Um, I like going out and singing a few odd songs and coming back in and going back out again and doing a few songs and coming back in. And I like that too, rather than a whole two hours of me singing. I get bored. Like, yes. <laughs> so I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody else sitting there for two hours listening to me. But um I I prefer the band thing. You know, I would definitely yeah. do that again. Well, I mean, you know, there's strength in numbers. And a lot of the time, if you're in a band, you know, you have the support and even just having the people around you. It's kind of like you're going into battle and you have these other soldiers with you. It's very hard sometimes to stand on a stage on your own. And I know myself, having played in bands with lots of different members, you know, you you feel that support. But if you step on the stage with just an acoustic guitar, and, you know, you have to play on your own. It's much more frightening. And then, you know, if someone says, oh, sing without the guitar, you're like, not a chance, you know. <laughs> so we, we all have our crutch and we have something that we rely on. And um, it, uh, definitely a band thing for a lot of people is something they go, I can do that because at any given moment, maybe it's not my time to be solo or sing and somebody else can play an instrumental or someone else can sing. Yeah. And it, it, it gives you a break. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I I love that too. I I mean, I have great memories of of standing at the side of the stage, dancing, like literally dancing on my own in this in the side wings of the stage while Dadanin were belting out jigs and reels, you know. And it was and I'd be just fired up to go back out there and sing a few songs. But yet my songs are always really quiet. They bring the audience back down again. <laughs> <laughs> mellow, yeah. mellow, mellow. So, um, and that's and that was that was great about those those uh gigs you know the 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 music and the musicianship that were coming from the lads on stage would have people jumping out of their chairs and then i'd come out and i'd sing a couple of songs we'd almost put them to sleep again you know and then they'd be back up again afterwards you know but it was quite an exciting time and it was 
yeah, it was great. So, you know, when you were in Dedan and then obviously it opened more doors for you as well. So when your time finished in Dedan and then did you kind of, were you in limbo for a while or did you have something that you could go straight into or another project? What happened there? No, I was in limbo for a little while, definitely. Um, I didn't know what to do. I still, I had a, my, uh, going back to the earlier conversation of the jazz singers, um, I always wanted to do more jazz um, the great thing about Dedanin was I was already doing like If You Love Me, a Vera Lynn song from the 1940s that I had first heard um, Maura O'Connell singing on that album I was talking about. And um, so I was doing songs like that. And Now Is The Hour and Sweet Sixteen, which was more of a traditional Irish song. But still, with the band, their 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 music is very much about the 1920s, um, the traditional players of the 1920s and they all had that lovely kind of that 1920s jazz style um incorporated with the traditional style of, of playing and um so the songs kind of went along with that and actually worked really well you know they weren't standing out as being odd in the mix of the tunes that the lads were playing but when i when i left the band i wanted to delve more into the classic jazz songs the standards i wanted to do more of those so i put together a little trio of um musicians and so we'd have either guitar or piano and double bass drums like you could just whatever and it was just easy so we were doing um we were doing some of the pubs and clubs in galway and beyond and we were doing um weddings you know the drinks reception at weddings and we were doing corporate events and we were doing things like that and that was lovely I liked that that was nice and do you know what I liked about it is that you didn't have a listening crowd as far as they weren't sitting down on a chair on a chair all staring up at you they were mingling and they were drinking and they were having fun and I was just singing away to my heart's content in the corner happy out really enjoyed that really loved that and I still do I still like that you still do that's great and, you know, um, like, obviously, as you say there, you know, in, in Galway, it's a great city and, you know, culturally, there's a lot going on in the arts. Um, when you kind of started doing the jazz thing, was it harder to get some gigs because there wouldn't have been as many jazz clubs and stuff, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there would have been. There still isn't many jazz clubs, actually, in Galway or anywhere. Like jazz is it's 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 a tough it's a tough genre in Ireland, you know. It's not a it's not a genre that you'd make money off. You know, you'd only do it because you love it and and you want to you want to sing jazz songs. But um, it's not one that's mainstream. You know, you don't have even radio play like you. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be something you'd hear a lot on the radio. But um, in saying that, I was in contact then. Somebody contacted me years ago called David Lyons, a man who who wrote songs. And wanted me to listen to some of his songs while I was singing in Dedanon. And his songs were gorgeous, but they just didn't fit the Dedanon style of, of things. So that became, I, I just had to put that to the side and say, no, I, I'm not able to do that. But then when I left Dedanon, I started listening more to his songs and kind of going, oh, I like this and I like this. And then I got in contact with him and um, he just wanted to get me back, in, get me into the studio and record one or two of them and see what happened, you know. So we did that. And um, the first song, I think, got onto the RTE One playlist on the radio. And it was on the radio playlist for like six weeks or something like that. And 
it got great run and, and, and great response from the listeners and, you know, people were starting to... That was it. Was that in a lonely minute? That yeah. Was the, yeah, that yeah. was the first one. And um, and then we just went back into the studio and it, it was a slow process. It wasn't something that it was like, okay, we're going to go in and we're going to do it all in, in space. It, it happened over a period of years, really, um, until it was finished. And then it, we finished it last year and we released the album last year. So even though it's not strictly jazz at all but there is a jazz base to the songs you know w- would you say it's more jazz swing jazz or I, yeah 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 it's do you know what there's there's a, it's it's kind of jazz and there's a little bit of like a, a kind of a a latin element to it as well for some reason but mm. there's it's to some of the songs not all of them but there's there's um yeah. bossa nova kind of yeah, yeah bossa nova kind of a feel to some of the songs and i love that as well um but yeah, he he's very talented and I loved working with him. And it was just, again, as I said, it was an experience and an opportunity that I, I just couldn't pass up. I just said, OK, let's let's try this. This this sounds good. I, I think I've got to like this and working with him. And it was very easy. And the studio was great. And um, yeah, it was very exciting. So what's a typical song process for you? So what, what I mean is, you know, um, do you kind of like, get turned on to some writer's music or they get in touch with you and then you say, okay, I'd like to record one of your songs. And, you know, I, I, I've heard some of your catalog and everything. How, how does the process work for you? It depends. You see, for me, when it came to David and his songs, he approached me about the songs and then like he'd send on a few and I'd listen. And if, if something caught my ear straight away, then I'd be onto that song. That's the song I'll, I'll do because that's the one that stays in the ear. It's like what they call the, you know, the earworm or whatever. Yeah, the hook. <laughs> the hook. Yeah, yeah. If it's got a hook on it, yeah, I think that's the that's the one for me. Um, words are very important in a song for me. I think if, if if I think the message in the song, I don't relate to it or I can't really, you know, can't really go there or something I don't like about it, then I won't do it. Um, and yeah uh, and as far as songwriters i i normally love older songs like i love songs that have been out there for a long 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 time but you don't hear people singing them anymore or you know i just love the old classics so um there hasn't been enough like like john john broderick is a great poet um who wrote old galway town and he's got some lovely songs and i've been listening to them and there might be something in the works there with a few more of his songs but um no i i think it kind of just happens by accident really whoever comes out you know if i hear a song most most of them though are older songs they're old classic songs now obviously because you had great success with old galway town do you do you hope to follow on with another album this year or in the next two years i suppose that should be the plan yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't think I'm giving you the idea. I think it was the idea was there. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's supposed to be what's supposed to happen. But um, we'll see. Look, we'll see if the material yeah. if the material is there, and I can do it. I'll do it. Yeah, definitely. I'd love. To, I would love that. Obviously, I would love to do that. Um, I I had an idea to do a, an album of old songs from the twenties, thirties, and forties. I, I did have an album, uh, an idea in my head to do like that. Billy Holiday kind of stuff, and yeah, everything. more so though, 
songs that I, I, Ireland would know, you know, like the song. Okay, yeah, right. You know, um, Margaret Barry and Bridie Gallagher and, you know, I, I just think there's old songs there that are being lost and nobody's hearing them anymore. And I think that they, they would be great songs. And I think they would be some, some of them I, I'd love to sing again and um, do an album of those kind of songs. But yeah, I could, I also like the idea of doing more recent songs, more recent written songs and doing maybe more of a folk album or something. I, I, I like that idea as well. So the options are there. I just see where, yeah, <laughs> again, yeah, yeah. it's me, it's me. So, you know, like obviously now you would see yourself as having a solo career. And I know you said you're, you're kind of still doing your, your working and everything and you, you sing when you can or when you want it, so on. But how does it feel for you being a solo artist, you know, in 2021? despite the COVID and the restrictions, you know, do you feel you're at a place where you, I know you said you'd like to work in a band and everything, but how does it feel being a solo artist and how do you see the future for you in that sense? I don't know. I can't, I can't really answer it because I, I never, I never look ahead. I never see myself in the future and see what's going to happen. I'd love, ideally, I'd love to be singing. I'd love to be out there. Um, doing my own gigs, you know, and I don't know if it would be more the folk or the jazz. I love both. So maybe incorporate both of them together. Like, I, like you know, as I was talking about Maura O'Connell's style of, of things, she had that beautiful classic tone to her voice that had lent itself to the jazz genre, but she was doing more kind of Irish songs, traditional songs, contemporary songs, it didn't matter but she was able to incorporate both things together. And I love that. Um, so maybe that's, maybe that, that is something I could, I, I can see myself doing. I'd like to see myself doing definitely. Um, so we'll see. So you, so people you've recorded with, I know you did something with Tommy Fleming and, you know, I, I've seen stuff you've done with Eleanor Shanley and different people. And, you know, so like you've, you know, you've you've quite a highlight there in the sense that there's been a lot of great Irish stars you've performed with and worked with Jimmy McCarthy and John Spillane and all these people. So, I mean, that's that's brilliant. That's a great experience to touch base with those people and to learn from them. No. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been amazing. Tommy's been a fantastic um, friend and uh, support and encouraging me all the time, all the time. Gives out to me like, why aren't I, you know? doing more and you know uh but he's great tommy will be tommy will be listening now and he'd be like listening about the goal oriented <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah uh but he's great like um he's been an amazing friend and um yeah jimmy they've all been amazing i've learned something from every one of them and you know sharon shannon is one of my best friends and again she's always great at encouraging and supporting and I've done a couple of gigs with her, you know, so my Sharon Shannon story is um I remember when 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 I was younger in Galway, I was living in Galway and myself and my brother started um a window cleaning business and it was called Speak and Span. I don't know who was speaking, I don't know who was span, <laughs> but um but I remember uh, Sharon I don't know if she still she had a house there in up in, near Salt Hill. Yeah. And uh so we caught, we were going around door to door with the cards and said, would you like your window cleaned? And Sharon's sister opened the door. And so we were cleaning their windows. But I remember I was gas cracking. I'd never met her before, but, you know, they were all lovely. 
And um, but you could fe- you could feel even in the house the music was there, you know. And so I mean, I I recently obviously Sharon has had grace, you know, acknowledgements and her being on the Late Late Show, and it's great to see her because she's a great artist and you know she's had a great career and. You know, it's good to see people acknowledging her once again, isn't it? Absolutely. And and she is one of those very special people that you'll meet in life um, and you'll never forget her. Like, you, you know, she's she's just great. She's got an amazing, contagious smile and she's all the time smiling and um, she's just got a great outlook on life. And I think that comes through in her music, um, the soul that she plays with and the f- sense of fun that she has in herself comes through in her music and I think everybody that works with her loves working with her. You could never fall out with Sharon or be mad at Sharon or not like Sharon. She's just so likable. And um, yeah, we've been friends for about six, 15 or 16 years. Um, met through the music in Galway, the music scene sessions and have been friends ever since, you know. That's great. It's great, to, you know, because like in music, you and the arts in general, you meet all types of people, but you kind of know then when you meet someone, you say, well, that could be a friend for life, you know. Yeah. This person is a is a star, but they've no ego and they're a lovely person. And it's great to see genuine people. That's the thing with Sharon. No ego doesn't belong in her in her life at all. You know, she's she's uh, yeah, she's very special. Brilliant. And so um, when you were with the Danon and obviously at other times you had you, you've you know, met some dignitaries and you've met some presidents and everything. So. <laughs> How is that? How is that experience meeting those kind of people? I'm just. Do you feel that it's? Do you feel when you meet those people, they acknowledge you, or you're just another person in the line? How do you? How oh. does that feel? Uh no. I. 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 Any time I've met anybody like that, I, I've always felt that they've been genuinely, you know, happy to talk or meet us or you know. Usually, when we meet people like that, we're we're performing for them. Um. Um, it like that now when we went to capture the building and we had the uh, the performance for President Obama and the Irish dignitaries. Um, I mean, President Obama came straight up afterwards to say hello and th- say thank you to us for coming over and, and playing. And President Vice President Biden at the time came up and sure he was just so excited because he just loves the fact that he's from Ireland, you know. You know, his parents or his grandparents, whatever, came from Ireland. So he wasn't even supposed to be at that luncheon that we were at. Um, there was a big thing going on in Capitol Hill that weekend. It was the, they were they were signing into law Obamacare, um, which was very controversial. And um, so there was a lot going on in Capitol Hill that week. And we were over for St. Patrick's Day. And um, the luncheon was going on. All the Irish... Taoiseach and and all the Irish dignitaries were over at the time and in the room President Biden wasn't supposed to be there but he insisted that he was going to be there because he want you know he's Irish and he should be there you know and so he was there President Obama was there and Nancy Pelosi speaker of the house so they're the three top people really and so we got to meet all of them and they were just so lovely so nice so uh enthusiastic for the music and the songs and yeah um anybody we've ever met like we've gone to monaco and played for prince albert and same thing he was lovely and very very charming um ronnie wood we we opened up for the stones and slain 
that was an amazing thing. Ronnie, Ronnie was a good friend of Frankie's, so that's how that came about. Um, and he also played on If You Love Me, the song that I did on the Jigs, Reels and Rock and Roll album for Dedanon. So um, hence the name, because of the Rock and Roll royalty. But um, he played uh, lap steel guitar on um, on the Edith Piaf song. And little did I know he was a huge Edith Piaf fan. So uh, he was he was holidaying in Ireland and he invited us to come out and see him. He was staying out in Loch Ina Lodge in Connemara. And we went out and we were sitting in the in the bar downstairs and we had just ended up um, singing songs. And I sang, If You Love Me. And he was just like, I need to play on this. Are you recording this? And I said, yeah, I want to play on it. And that's how that came about. So Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's great. Those are great stories. I mean, and, and you know, there's a book in there, Michelle, well, I think. As definitely. I said, there's, there's a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of books, yeah. But definitely, the, the, I mean, you've achieved so much in your career already. And, you know, it's you've met some great people and you've had some great, you know, experiences meeting them and learning from them. So I, I think it's really good. And, um, you know, I, I think obviously now you you had the success with All Galway Town and it's putting you out there in the spotlight again, but it's showing people how, you know, much you are an amazing singer and you've such a lovely voice. And I mean, for me, when I hear your voice, I think it's amazing. And I think you're, you're I don't want to say you're, you don't get enough acknowledgement because I know people love you and everything, but I, I think definitely for sure there's so much more you can do. And I, I would be lovely to hear a new album from you for sure. And uh, I want to say, you know, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's been brilliant. And, you know, you're going to do a song for us after we finish up. But I just want to ask you, like, you know, besides maybe a new album, what kind of other goals and objectives do you have for this year and the following years? Is there anything that you've been thinking about that you've always wanted to do? Well, I think if anything, maybe that album you're talking about, I'd love that. That would be a great goal if I got to do that. Um, and after that, really, it's just to get back out there and get gigs going again and get back onto a stage and do what I love doing. Um, that would be that would be the ultimate. If we can manage to get that done this year, I think that would be amazing. I don't know if I can see it happening this year. If not this year, definitely next year. But um, that to me would be the ultimate to get back out there in front of people and sing again and um, get gigs going and finish an album. That would be brilliant. So hopefully that will happen. That would be great. And I think people would look forward to that a lot, you know, for sure. Um, so thank you very much, Michelle. Um, what's the song you're going to sing, sing us out with? Well, I've picked a song from the 1940s. Again, it's an old song um, called You'll Never Know. You'll never know. Okay, that's really nice. We look forward to hearing that now. So thank you again, Michelle. And we will, you know, plug any stuff you have and, you know, feel free to to tell us any news that's coming up or anything. But um, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And definitely I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future, you know, and hopefully a lot will have happened. A lot more will have happened for you by then. So once again, thanks a lot and take care of yourself. Thank you, Simon. Likewise, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Bye-bye. You never know just how much I miss you 
song and we thank you very much for coming on the show it's always a pleasure to have you on and an amazing story and i think people are going to love to hear all about your life so far and i really enjoyed it so moving on to our next guest our next guest for next week is jp mcmahon so jp is a chef restaurant owner including a michelin star restaurant in Goa city he has also published books is a columnist for irish newspapers and has organized a major food festival for Goa city so we really look forward to speaking to JP and hear about his life so far and I think you'll enjoy it. So stay tuned and stay safe and we'll see you next time guys. Take care. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.